so glad I joined with the church today. To be a part of worship, these women and men have led us so capably today. Paige and Mackenzie, thank you. I'm going to speak to the spaces they recently occupied. Keith and Danny, thank you. Naomi, Kim, Judy, thank you. To all of you who sang so robustly, thank you. In your speaking, your singing, and your silence, you have helped me in so many ways to enter into this time of worship with openness and receptivity to what God is going to do and what God has already done and what God will do when we leave this place. We don't even have to wait until 2024. Things are happening. If you turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be reading verses 7 through 14. This is a summary that the Apostle Paul gives to the church in Philippi um, about, in many ways, that place we find ourselves on days like today, where we have, from our perch, a view of where we have been, let's say, back into 2023, right where we are, which is Yates Baptist Church, 2819 Chapel Hill Road at 1103, and where we are heading. 2024. We have crystal clarity in many ways of where we've been. We have an awareness of where we are now, though we don't often honor that awareness well enough. And we have no idea where we'll be in 2024. And that is where the Apostle Paul gives us these words of counsel as he offered them to the church so long ago in Philippi. But whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And now I need to digress and use the Christopher Revised Translation for this next phrase. I consider them a big pile of excrement. That's the Greek word. It is. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. May God bless the reading and the hearing of the word today. 
Well, this afternoon, I have plans. Maybe you plan to nap or to kind of revisit that little bit of casserole that was left in the dish from this morning. Or maybe you have other things that you intend to do or a whole lot of nothing. And whatever you choose to do is fine. For me, I uh, specially scheduled one more appointment this year at the Red Cross Platelet Donation Center. At one o'clock, I'll go in and hopefully I did not eat so much sausage that I'm going to somehow have my blood pressure out of whack or something like that. I'll screen in to be able to give my 21st platelet donation of the year. And this is something I've, I've talked to you about before from time to time, something of a spiritual discipline for me that started um, in some ways as just an attempt to do something good, particularly during the pandemic, that has become for me uh, a very significant spiritual discipline. Not only a way to pay forward what I believe the Red Cross gave me, which was in a kind of random discovery at the age of 38 at a blood drive at my church, um, I had treacherously high blood pressure. So they would not take my blood that day. And when I say treacherously high, when the nurse was screening me in, she checked my blood pressure and then backed away from me like I was wearing a bomb vest. Had her colleague come over and check it. And she looked at it. They wouldn't even tell me what it was. They wrote it down on a piece of paper like I was buying a car, slid it across the table. So we can't take your blood today. You should go see a doctor. And I did that day. And, um, and was able to get on top of uh, hypertension that I did not know was a part of my body, part of my life, and affecting me in ways that I would not know until it was too late. Thank you, Red Cross. So all these years later, um, I have a special bond with the Red Cross and want to do what I can to help what I believe are some of the really noble aspirations to gather up the resources that only people can provide. And I'm not talking about money now and being able to share them within our healthcare system. I'm doing that um, for all of those reasons. I'm also doing it because over time I've become aware of the incredible impact that that particular blood product has in our health system. Not everyone can and should give. As it turns out, my body is really excellent at making platelets and I have a very ordinary, boring blood type. So they keep steering me back to platelets, and every time I give, they can take two or three units. And within five days, they've gone anywhere from New York to Puerto Rico to the Midwest to Duke Hospital to UNC, wherever the need is for cancer patients, for burn victims, for um, premature children, and many others who require that kind of support. It feels good to know in my instant gratification-seeking brain that no one's going to have to wait long to give what I have to offer. But, as has become something of a joke, the thing that really drives me is the plaque on the wall. There's a plaque when you enter into the platelet donation center at the, at the, uh, at the Red Cross that has the names of all the donors who give at least 18 times in a calendar year. And so I made it my goal, my personal benchmark, is to get on the plaque. I'm, again, sort of just hunting dopamine wherever I can find it and the rush that comes from seeing my name on that plaque. Something, some people understand, it is my personal adventure.
But that plaque is enough to drive me again and again to to schedule around other things or to make sure if I have to punt in service of something else that I make it up so that I stay on track and I stay on course so that I can see my own name staring back at me on the 2023 plaque. Well, good news is I've I've made it, right? But in many ways, I, I paint that picture for you to help you understand a little bit about the image that the apostle is painting uh, for the Philippians and for us. He talks about a goal, and that's where we're going to be reflecting today, talking about goals, and it's a very appropriate thing here on the threshold of a new year. And the word that we translate goal there is an interesting word. It's skopos, which um, is, we get the word like telescope or periscope. Uh, if you can imagine sort of peering through something so that you can get distant focus on something uh, that you want to orient to. You're bobbing around on the ocean and you need to find that buoy that tells you to turn right or left or that buoy that tells you to avoid the sandbar or the rocks. And if you wait until you're right up on it, it's too late. So you need to get that distant focused look to start changing or altering or orienting your course according to what you scope out. And that's what Paul is calling on Christians and for churches to do, to take that sort of view of their lives. And so to help them understand this, he tells a personal story, much like I did today. So in this very well-known excerpt, Uh, He encourages the church to be a church that anchors its joy and all of its confidence in Christ. It is so tempting then and now, the apostle realizes, to rely solely on our achievements or to base our future with only our failures in view in the past or even more to judge by whatever external circumstances or winds or currents that may be blowing out there in the world. All of those things, of course, have to be borne in mind, but they will not take us where God wants us to go, he says. In order for us to get there, we have to be on a transformational journey in pursuit of Christ, the call of Christ. And so he talks about kind of releasing his reliance on the many personal and professional accomplishments. That's the first six or so verses of Philippians is talking about some of those accomplishments. And he affirms all of them. He's not embarrassed that he's so well educated. He's not embarrassed that he, in many ways, attained status within both his profession and in his religious circles. He is embarrassed about where his zeal for that took him because ultimately it took him in contravention of and conflict with the church of Jesus Christ. But as he enumerates all of his accomplishments, he subordinates them to the call. And he uses this great phrase, he now presses on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And so on New Year's Eve, it's time to make resolutions. I don't know if you're a resolution-making kind of person, 
Um, and I dare not tell you what you should set out to do in the coming year, but it's got to have a backward view. Of course, when we make our resolutions, we do it kind of looking at our life in review. One of the great skills uh, that I learned, not in my own pastoral training, but for those who work in clinical settings like Janelle, in hospitals, hospice, organizations, uh, they have a, a process that they call action, reflection, action. Sounds obvious, right? But you do something, then you reflect, hopefully with a group of folks, to figure out what happened and what went well, what could have been better, whatever needs to be reflected upon. And then you act again, but informed by what you reflected on. How much of our lives are spent just doing action, 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 without the luxury and the important step of reflecting thoughtfully, faithfully, prayerfully on what it is that's happened. That's where we are. Looking back on 2023, uh, we've experienced a lot together. Experience is a very valuable teacher. And I've told you more than once that the great definition of pessimism is one that I think of this time of year particularly, and that's simply this, that a pessimist is what? An optimist with experience. And we've all had experience. And it's a perfectly cynical definition, but it doesn't really esteem experience all that much. It doesn't see our experiences as valuable. It doesn't see them as constructive forces that can help us build better lives going forward, even when those experiences are hard. But in these few verses, the apostle is now reviewing the great body of his life's work and his life investment. And with just a few words, he gives us a summary of his reflection that his experience of joy and satisfaction in service of Christ has emerged at the very top of his life. And his experience of a life without Christ is incomplete. It must be subordinate, even if it bore all the outward signs of success, of happiness, of fullness, of, of achievement. In the experience of Paul, who has lived in both worlds, he now sees it's incomplete. The great investment of his life is incomplete. Can you imagine being a person who would look back over 30, 40, 50, 70, 80 years and then be able to say honestly, yeah, it's incomplete. I'm lurching through midlife right now, and I'm tormented by all those questions. Did I do the right thing? Did I zig when I should have zagged? I wish I hadn't have done that. I wish I hadn't have said that. And so much of our reflection just becomes muddy with regret. But instead, the apostle in this remarkable moment cracks something of a joke. And he, it's kind of a dirty joke. That's why I translate it the way it is. I think he's trying to be funny, to say, you know, it's, it's all great, but it's a big pile compared to this, and then paints this elegant picture. To be able to look at his life as so completely Christ's now, that even all he invested in, while in many ways good, is incomplete is a remarkable transition. It's a transformation from a self-reliant person who believes that the only way that they're going to be safe or secure or 
put together or successful is that they do it their own selves. He's discovered what it means to be held by Christ. And he talks to the Christians who have ears to hear what that might mean for them. Paul's learned from everything he's been through. He's increased his appreciation on the ways that he has been invested in the journey of his mind and the journey of his faith and the journey of his leadership. And even more now that all of the strengths that were developed in that time have now been put to fullest use in the mission and the purpose that Christ has given to him. So he begins this whole season of reflection and uh, exhortation with a simple phrase, rejoice in the Lord. That's verse one. Rejoice. It's no trouble for me, he said, to write this to you and to write the same things to you again and again. It's a safeguard to you. And to be able to look back on his life and say, rejoice. Oh, what a gift. That's the fruit of faithful reflection on experience through the lens of one who has been caught by Christ and held by Christ. What has experience taught you this year? What has experience taught our church? What has the past few years, what, what has all of that taught our church? Well, it's, it's a mixture of, of easy-to-digest news and very difficult-to-digest news. It's hard truths and easy truths about ourselves, about the world we live in, and more and more, you know, teachers often tell me now, there's something that, that teachers say to each other, we've got to stop blaming the pandemic, which is true. Um, life has moved on. We've emerged from our bunkers. Yet we also realize that the pandemic has fast-tracked many trends that were already at work in our society. And the church has been really impacted. The number of folks I listen to now, Christians who have grown disenchanted or worried or disappointed, is growing. And as we try and find our way forward, when we look back, we have to be able to see clearly all that has been, not just the selective vision we want to have on where we have been. And so, as with most reasonable recollections, it's going to be a little bit of good, a little bit of difficult. The church is neither dying nor flourishing. We're somewhere in the middle. And we have choices to make in response to what it is we experienced and what it is we are aspiring toward. Now, I could go on. The apostle continues to talk about other forces that are at work that are external to a congregation beyond its own ministry, beyond its own identity, beyond its own values. There are many values at work. There are even in other letters he writes about powers and principalities, these unseen forces that are pushing and pulling and arguing over the church. He talks about government in Romans chapter 13. You know, all of these are bigger than we are. And sometimes they are wind in our sails, sometimes they're cross currents, sometimes they're undertow. But we can't trust any of them. 
the apostle today is directing us exactly where we need to be focused, where our telescopes, our periscopes, our scopes should be pointing. Not that I have already arrived there, Paul tells them. I have already arrived at that goal, but I press on to grasp that for which Christ Jesus grasped me. And so the key to understanding, I think, what we are being called to do is not to be the kind of people who exert ourselves chasing after some shiny spiritual object somewhere in the future. There's no one particularly attractive uh, destination that would beckon us so strongly that we could exert on our own. Instead, every time we exert any level of tenacity in the mission of the church, it is a reflection of the tenacity God has shown us in Jesus Christ. You are held. So you reach out and grab as hard as you can for what I'm calling you to do. Can you hear the difference? One is a self-reliant starting point, and another one recognizes what God is doing in us. And that God in Christ has taken hold of us, has grasped us, has made us into a church. It is God's idea that we are here. And as we reflect God's way out in the world, to be a people who are just relentless in holding on to the things that matter, we live more and more like Jesus in this world, and we become more and more truly the body of Christ. And so that goal is not quite the same as vision. Paul talks about his visions in other places. Uh, Think about it in Galatians 1 and 2. He talks about this long journey he had after God called him to preach to the Gentiles. It's, it's many decades long, and they sort of summarize it this way. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to revelation. All of that journey that the apostle was on was fueled by that vision. What God showed Paul was fuel. It wasn't the same as the goal. But it propelled him. It kept him moving. In the same way, the goal is not quite the same as the mission. That the mission is something that Paul could, with remarkable economy of words, talk about from time to time. When it came to talking about his ministry, Paul could express who he was and what he intended to do, how he planned to do it, what resources he had available, and he could talk about what he considered to be a really good outcome. That's compelling clarity, frankly. So think about in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. He does it in two verses. Christ is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ has put so powerfully worked in me. That's a mission statement. The goal is not quite the same thing. The goal is in many ways, is that view of our lives under reconstruction. A transformational 
journey that is pointed toward a spot, a place, an orientation that is outside of our own capacity to meet. We have been gripped, grasped, taken hold of by God in Christ. And now we reach out for that. That's the goal. How do you do that? Well, you release what has been. Forgetting what lies behind, says Paul. And sometimes it, 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 it's comfortable to do that. At the end of December, I published on, on social media, just so people could see, because I was startled, I was stunned. Um, we had three mission goals as a church. We, and they were sort of concentric circles of, of focus. So one was neighborhood-focused. We talked about um, the need in our ministry circles, our friends that we know, for warm weather, or excuse me, warm clothing for cold weather. And uh, Tiffany and Joanna, they said, we need at least 50 coats. Last count, we have at least 55 coats, plus mittens, plus scarves, and y'all did a great job. Thank you. That was one circle, super local. Then there was one uh, that was a little wider, recognizing the neighborhood we're in and that we overlap with an educational system right here next door. So at Rogers Hur Middle School, the social worker came to us and said, I am aware of at least seven students who will not have anything for Christmas unless somebody rises up and helps. And uh, we, we tried to present that to you. And by the end of worship, by the end of the worship hour, and I'm not going to shame you for this. Three people had already signed up online. Pulled out their phones, saw the link, signed up. And all seven students got exactly what they wanted. What a privilege. What a privilege to share. And we built a bridge of trustworthiness between that school and this church that will continue to grow stronger. Then there was another circle. We said, take a look at the world. We have mission partners that take the gospel places we've never been and probably will never get to go. But we have those in all these little outposts all around the world. And we can participate in that. We can, um, and, and we thought it was a robust challenge, Lynn. Oh, she's working nursery, thank the Lord. $5,000. Let's do it. Last year it was 45. We got there. We can get to five. At last count, it was over $16,000. Lynn actually emailed me back and said, that can't be right. <laughs> Tell them to count again. And I did, because I agreed. That can't be right. $16,000. It was $11,000 that morning, then another $5,000 came in the day I asked. You know, those are ways we can quantify what we aspire to do. We can pat ourselves on the back and let that be the end of the story. Remember in 2023 when we blew the top off the mission giving goal? Won't that be a great story in 2025? Or 2030? Or 2035? Hey, remember back in the 2020s? Or does it need to find a place inscribed in our story and left here? With that lingering question, what's next? Much harder to do is to release those places in our lives that uh, are sources of pain or regret or agony. And as you look back on your life, you realize in many ways you kind of owe a debt 
to the pain. And many of our relationships simply become paying interest on the pain we haven't released from each other. We have a word in church called forgiveness, and what that means is a release from debt. That at some point, somewhere, someone says, I will not use that choice in such a way that our relationship is based on you just sort of servicing the debt. It's forgiven. God has modeled that for us, and Mackenzie and her in her prayer, painted a picture of another goal, another skopos for us to focus on, and that is the cross. It is there that we come to know what God's forgiveness cost and that God's forgiveness is complete. It's released. And it's left in the past. Reaching for what is ahead, that's pretty much the same action, isn't it? I didn't get permission, so I'm not going to show you the videos this morning, but one of my children, when he was learning to crawl, learned to do so in a week. There's a very shiny little set of keys, uh, like big fumbly plastic keys that he loved to play with. We'd shake, and, um, and I put them about two inches past where he could reach on day one. And he sat there, and he, and he kind of bucked up on his, on his stomach, and he just couldn't do it. And he screamed and he hollered because he really wanted the keys he couldn't get there. And I kind of videotaped it just to have a baseline, to have a starting point. Within a week, I would be across the room and I'd set the keys down and he'd, he'd scoot all the way across. Now he runs cross country. Who knows where he's going next? Straining toward what is ahead doesn't mean when you get to that one destination you have arrived but it continues to beckon you further and further along as you discover the trustworthiness of the goal that's been placed before you in Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, if we were playing charades, I think if we were to, to try and gesture out these two actions of pursuing our goal, releasing what has been and straining toward what is ahead, I think we'd kind of do the same thing. We'd end up with open hands. In both circumstances, with open hands, we release what has been and experience the truth and the security that comes from being a forgiven and forgiving people. And we reach toward what's ahead because we have been so filled with hope that we know that when we close our grip, we will grasp something good if we are pointed toward Christ. With open hands, we stand on the threshold of 2024. And there is no perfect prayer, I think save one, that can conclude this year together as a church. So I invite you to open your hands. And for those with memories deep enough, you may remember back in 1961, the Swedish diplomat, uh, Dag Hammarskjöld, who's the uh, second general secretary of the United Nations. He died at the age of 56. It was an airplane crash. He was traveling to Africa to try and settle a war that was there. Hammarskjöld came to his position at the UN in 1953. And he brought with him not only 
considerable political skill and, of course, great education, erudition, but also a deep faith. And after his death, his journal was published in English under the title Markings. I encourage you to read it when you have a chance. This is what he wrote in 1953 when he was brought to a position that he knew he could not achieve on his own. As he negotiated his place in this world with God, the first entry in 1953, after he was uh, elected to that post at the UN, was this. For all that has been, all that has been, thank you. And for all that shall be, yes. Amen.